morning, everybody. Um, if I don't know you, and I know I'm saying that, I know pretty much all of you, but my name's Ryan. Uh, my family and I, uh, as you probably know, we've talked, but uh, came about a year and a half ago from San Diego, California. We were at a church for uh, a good 14 years where um, a lot of the formation that we went through, uh, that's a, a big chunk of our Christian life, happened at that church. Uh, the pulpit ministry, kind of from the top down, it was just it was just so informative. The doctrine, the the, the teaching, the classes, the one on one time with other believers, um, the relationships that were forged, and how we were knit together, all of that was just such such a sweet time. And then the Lord, in His providence, moved us out here a year and a half ago, and. Uh, our brother-in-law Bear was going to this church, and so that's how we ended up here. But it was just the kindness of the Lord to bring us in a place that was very like-minded with our last church. You know, you, you kind of hear horror stories from folks who move to other places that maybe don't think ahead, and they just kind of move and then look for a church, or they get to the church they think is going to be legit, and then they realize, well, there's lots of things going on with this church that I didn't anticipate. Uh, but it wasn't the case here. You know, the most foreign thing to us was like congregationalism, which was has been a sweet, sweet time ever since we've come here. So it's uh, all that to say, just just how the Lord has continued our uh, journey here and our discipleship here has just been sweet. Everybody's been wonderful to get to know, and uh, everybody's really encouraging and really intentional here. If you've noticed, you know, kind of from the top down, like I said. Uh, there's this intentionality about doing good to, uh, to the body of Christ so that everybody is being built up like we're going to see today. Um, so just super encouraged to be here. And I, I think everybody kind of sees and feels that this is not just a wishy-washy sort of church. This is like really intentional ministry going on. Uh, we are, the, the leadership is intentionally trying to bring us in a certain direction you know, the upcoming, like, Bible study, we were talking about, Cole, yesterday, uh, upcoming Bible studies that the elders are going to be doing um, with, with all of us, you know, not just the elders, but, you know, it's, it's, it, it affects the people in the body so that the body builds itself up. You see just all of these relationships forming. People are hanging out together, and they're having um, talk that goes past the game or past, you know, trivial sorts of things that are great, but they're, they're just past those things, and we're seeking to intentionally say things that are encouraging to one another and build one another up. So, um, kind of this class on discipling, uh, to be honest with you, it, it was a little tricky to take on because this isn't honestly something that I've thought a ton about. It's something that the Lord has used me to and has used others to do in me, but to like actually think about how to word it to people is, is a little bit different. Um, so it's been a blessing to go through it, and I hope, I hope that it makes coherent sense. I was telling Cole and Evan yesterday, I'm like, I've gone through this, this study so many times this week, and I'm just like, it just doesn't feel like it's nailed down yet, like I have my footing, like I'm stepping on something, so if I slip back, thank you. Um, as a recap of kind of where we've been so far and where we're going, week one, Evan went through uh, what is discipling, and if we were to pare it down in a nutshell, discipling has to do with doing spiritual good to another person, okay? 
it takes many forms and goes in many directions, but it's doing spiritual good to someone else. Um, and we kind of, we got that from Mark Dever's discipling book, that little blue book. So that was week one. Week two talked about why we disciple. And I have last week's sheet right here. So five reasons that Evan gave taking straight from Philippians chapter one was we discipled uh, because of the joy we receive in doing so. Number two is because of the confidence that we have in the spirit that he who began a good work in us and in believers around us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, we disciple also because of the love that we have for our brothers and sisters and for unbelievers. And number four, we do it because of the need we have for sanctification, to grow in Christ-likeness. And lastly, we do it because it glorifies the Lord in all of it. So today what we're going to focus on is uh, a couple other aspects. Who in scripture is authorized to disciple? Who should be discipling? And where should discipleship take place? We're going to consider those things. And that is going to kind of move into the area of evangelism and slightly into the area of missions. And it's going to be um, helpful, hopefully, to everyone. And uh, let's pray now and ask God that gives us ears to hear and gives me words to speak and is faithful to the text and builds us up. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this morning. Um, we just come before you and ask that you be gracious to us, Lord. We pray that, um, uh, that as I speak, that it, it would be um, in line with what your word says and it would uh, be true things um, and that it would help us to think more deeply about discipleship. And I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear that we would seek to build one another up in love, um, that it would be uh, a time of formation for us and a time of um, uh, basking in the, the plans and promises that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so even though this isn't on your handout and on your outline, uh, kind of like the very last point, I'm going to start with that. <clears throat> kind of going back and forth on how to do this exactly, but I thought that it would be good when talking about discipling, or kind of with any doctrine, sometimes it's good instead of standing right up in front of the tree to kind of back up a little bit so you can kind of see the forest that you're in front of. Um, if you're up in an airplane, you have a 35,000 foot, you know, kind of view of the lay of the land as opposed to walking on it yourself. So just kind of thinking about redemptive history for a second. Um, if we were to take the creation all the way to the new creation, kind of this timeline. <clears throat> and we see uh, in scripture at the beginning, in the beginning, God created everything, he created the heavens, the earth, the land, the plants, the animals, the people, the, st the stars, the moon, the sun, all of that. And in the beginning, when he created man, he did something special in man that was different in all of the rest of creation. He made, he made man in his own image stars were not in his own image, the sun was not in his own image, animals were not in his own image, but man was, and from uh, Adam was taken Eve, and both of them were made in the image of God, and so God's command to them from the outset was be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and so you could kind of imagine, and this is, this is hard because we don't have a, a long a long span of time that we can like, really see this play out. But you kind of imagine what that would have looked like if it had. 
Okay, you have Adam and Eve having children and their children having children and they're kind of spreading out and they have no sin. All of them are completely righteous and holy, walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. They have um, the image of God in them and they're showing it forth to one another, causing others to praise God and, and they're shining it forth to God and in worship and glory. You know, so it is... It is image bearers rightly imaging God to one another so that when, when they would see one another, they would see the image of God. And the idea was to fill the earth in so every direction. I mean, who knows how it would have gone, and I'm not here to like speculate exactly how this would have played out because it didn't. It did not play out. But going in all directions, up to Europe and to Russia and down into Australia and down into South America and North America, I mean, the whole earth filled with the glory of the Lord um, everyone with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, all the way around. <clears throat> but of course, it didn't happen that way. The fall came, and, and Adam and Eve sinned in that mirror, that not mirror, but that image of man, of God in man, was shattered, kind of like a, a mirror shattering on the ground. And so if you were to look in that mirror, it would be kind of like this funhouse sort of mirror. You'd see somewhat of the image that is reflecting back to yourself, but it's not the... It's not the image, the true full image that was intended. <clears throat> so, you know, after the flood, you have now this sin in the world through these image bearers, these broken image bearers, where it says in Genesis 6 that the thoughts and intents of the heart were only evil continually. And after that, you have the flood where God destroys everyone except for eight people saved on an ark and uh, with a bunch of animals. And so uh, Noah and his family come out, and one would think, oh, everything is good. We can start all over again. But the problem is the sin is still in the heart. The image is still broken, and now it's being spread again into all the world. It's going to all sorts of places. I mean, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth are going in different directions. People are settling all over. There's people at Babel. They're trying to create a tower, and God confuses their languages, and they spread, and it's spreading. But it's not the kind of spreading that it was supposed to be in the beginning, where the perfect image of God was being shown forth to other image bearers. And so, obviously, this huge problem. Fast forward to the cross. Well, actually, no. Let's back up. Before the foundation of the world, God, of course, knowing and planning all of this, sent forth was going to send forth his son to pay for the penalty of all of, our, all of the sins of his people. He was choosing a people for himself, and he was going to send his son to die for those people. So that is what Jesus did. He came, and on the cross he died for not only those who after him would believe in him all the way up to the present day, to the last day. Anyone like Abraham who believed in him, trusted in his promises, though they saw through a glass dimly, they trusted in his promises, and God credited that to them as righteousness. In the end, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that is filled with God's people. And all of God's people are going to be from every tribe and people and language and nation. And they're going to not just be like Adam at the beginning who perfectly um, stood before the Lord. They're going to be people who were once dead in their trespasses and sins who have been made alive. And they have been redeemed so that the song of Revelation 5, you know, where it talks about uh, Jesus is the lamb who was slain, who, who redeemed.
redeemed if everyone from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, that, that will be the song on our lips forever and ever, and we will have no sin, and we will be shining forth to one another the image of Christ to one another, and we will glorify him forever and ever. So kind of that, that sort of high view of what's going on when we talk about discipleship, I just kind of wanted to set the stage for that, because in this process of from when we're saved to when we die is the process of sanctification. And like Evan talked about last week, sanctification is a, such a huge part of why we disciple. It's taking, it's taking people and changing them into an image. For example, uh, we see in 1 Corinthians 15.49, it's, Paul says, just as we have born the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. Romans 8.29, that golden chain of salvation says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That was the plan, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Or this verse, and this is such a sweet verse, Second uh, Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we see that um, that, that God is making us little by little into the image of someone. Well, who is that image? Well, we're going to see soon. And of course, it's Christ because you know that. So what I'd like you to do at this point, if you could open up your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start there. Ephesians 4. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. The first three chapters have to do with just Paul establishing what God has done. It's these indicatives. Like, there's nothing that you did in this scenario, uh, believer. This is what God did on your behalf. He predestined you and redeemed you and sent Jesus for you and paid for your sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and but God, who's rich in mercy, you know, you know, gave you grace and you were saved. Jew and Gentile, you had that middle wall of separation between you, and now that's broken down, and now you're one. So now he he starts chapter four saying, I Paul a prisoner of the Lord. Someone read the chapter verse one or uh, <laughs> chapter three, please. Anybody got it? Chapter four. Sorry. Oh, four one. Sorry. Yeah. I therefore So Paul starts to give imperatives, commands to them. I urge you to walk according to the calling which you have been called. It goes on to say in chapter 4 that when Christ ascended into heaven, that he gave gifts to men. And then that's where we kind of pick up at verse 11. And let's read all the way down to 16. And it says, and he, Jesus, gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by, wave, by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so uh, when we're talking about who disciples, um, we want to kind of set it, I think, from the text, I think what it teaches is that there's two different categories of, well, I, I should say, yeah, there's two different categories of disciples. There's the head, Jesus, the discipler. Okay, we have to talk about Jesus. And then there is the body body of Christ. And within the body, there's two sections. In this text, the way it words it is that there are sort of the officers of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and then there are the saints of the church. Okay, So to start out with, let's consider Jesus the head as the main discipler. Um, we see in scripture in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So right from the outset, if you were to start the New Testament, it wouldn't be long before you get to the point where you see that um, Jesus is choosing disciples to follow him. And these disciples are with him for three years or so. Um, every day they're hearing his teaching. They're seeing his miracles. They're viewing the crowds swarming him. They see the looks on the faces of the Pharisees when Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, you hypocrites. They see the responses. They ate with him. They slept next to him. They were sent out two by two in the authority that he provided for them in the example that he set. They were loved by him. They witnessed his sinlessness for three plus years play out in front of them, juxtapose against their own squabbles, their own pushes for power amongst one another, all of the people crowding around in all of their brokenness and sinfulness, they witnessed the contrast of Jesus Christ sinless before them every day. Um, so who is the quintessential discipler? It is Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, he is not only the great discipler, he is the one that all disciples are being molded into. It's in his image that we are being changed into. <clears throat> he is the goal. Uh, we, while we might shine like the moon, Jesus Christ is the sun from whom we get our light to shine. Like it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. So our sanctification, beginning to end, is making us like Jesus. And I think it's safe to say, and I think we all know this, that when, when the body is doing the discipling, it is the spirit, it is, it is Jesus doing the work through us as instruments to make us more like himself. So now, saying that, heading over to the second point of who disciples, we're talking about the church, the body of Christ. So we talked about the head, this is the body. 
And so from this text, we'll see that the body is a discipling tool in the hand of the Lord to make us like himself. So again, verse 11 says this, starting with the officers of the church. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body. So this part was interesting because there was the the scary thought within me that it's like, well, I, I might have to address whether or not people think that there are still apostles and prophets and things like that today. And I actually did not take the time to ask what our church's stance was on that. So that is not particularly my point. We don't have to go there unless you really want to. And then Evan Smith will be happy to answer all and any of the elders. But suffice to say from the resurrection all the way to the end of the world, God gave, at least for a time, some of these officers. I would say apostle, a prophet, would have been for the early church. That would be my take. I might be wrong. But, but definitely, if we look at our own church structure, if we think about what kinds of officers, if we wanted to call it that, leadership roles are in the church, we definitely see pastors, teachers. Definitely. Okay. Um, I, I, I would say that evangelism, the gift of evangelism, is definitely alive today. And someone is particularly gifted to go and preach the gospel. Um, But anyway, so in thinking about this, God has given the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers throughout the whole church age, wherever they fit in, um, to do spiritual good to God's people, to disciple God's people. And the main way that they do this is by equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And you see this desire within them. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, talking to the Corinthian church, he says, Corinthian church, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I'm imitating Christ. I'm, I have, I'm desiring to be in his image, to be more like Christ. Imitate me as far as I imitate Christ. He says to the Galatian, uh, the churches in the region of Galatia, in Galatians 4.19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. It's like this, from within him, desiring that they would be sanctified. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you, excuse me, you have in us. Okay? You see us apostles. You see us coming in and aiding and helping your church. Imitate us, but imitate those who also imitate us, and we imitate Christ. So his desire that they walk according to the image of Christ, to become more like Christ. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So it is the desire for the elders above us um, to equip us to do the work of the ministry and to sanctify us, part of their role in preaching and in teaching and in praying and all of those things are uh, is to lead us down the path towards Christ's likeness and to equip us equip us as we're going to see right now to build one another up and, sancti- and, and that the Lord would sanctify one another so in addition to the apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers it goes on to say for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So that 
for until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the saints are to do the equipping um, in a way that is, it, it's in this particular order. The, the elders of the church are equipping us and then we go and do the work of the ministry. It's not as if the elders of the church don't do the work of the ministry and discipleship one-on-one for they are part of the church also. It's not that it is separated like that. But um, God gifts them to us to equip us to then go out and do that as they do it as well. Um, it, might be, it might be something that you've thought of before. It might be something you've experienced where you kind of think of church as kind of a spectator sport where the ones who do the work of the ministry are actually the pastor on stage or the band or you know the, the people that have maybe the badge on, that kind of thing. I'm not talking about Mormons. People have, you know, the people who are official looking, that kind of thing. You know, but there, I, I've been at churches like that, and it's very easy. You come in and you kind of have your latte and you sit down, and uh, it's like you're at a ball game. And people on the field would never call to me in the stands and say, "Hey, come down and play," kind of thing. It's like they're the professionals; they do it. Or you go into a movie theater and you sit down, you got your popcorn, and it's on the screen. And the I'm not part of the movie. I'm not an actor. You know, I'm just there to be entertained. And that, that can be the mindset coming into church. But that's not God's model for how the church is supposed to function. Everyone is, has a part to play. Okay, So when it says that the elders, the pastors, teachers are equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, it's talking about ordinary, garden variety saints in a church in the town of Ephesus. And meaning to extend to all churches until the end of time. This is common every day. Wives, husbands, fathers, children, servants, masters, employees, employers, of every stripe, in every area, doing whatever job. These are ordinary folks like you and me doing the work of the ministry to build one another up in love. Okay, And this, and I'm not going to hammer on this too long, but this is also where it's not like we do this unequipped. Part of the equipping that we're given is like in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the spiritual gifts that God gives us. Uh, Romans chapter 14, the spiritual gifts that he gives us to build up the body of Christ. Um, so we're equipped in that way as well. So as you can see in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4 goes to Ephesians 5 where it talks about submission to one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then it goes to wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, and it talks about that. Then it goes to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. And then it goes to children, obey your parents in verse six, chapter 6, verse 1. Then it goes to uh, husbands, and husbands, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath talks about servants and masters. So this is meant to go across all sorts, every kind, every saint. So that is the who in discipleship. You're not just talking about a, a select elite group of Navy SEAL type of disciplers. You're, you're looking at everybody in the body of Christ. And particularly, particularly the saints are meant to do it among themselves to build one another up in love. Listen to kind of the end of 
that Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 passage. It's to bring us to mature manhood so that we would no longer be immature children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into uh, he who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the, the body is doing it. We're doing it with one another. The next three weeks, what we're going to be looking at is how we do these things. Okay? But suffice it to say, that is who does it. Any questions or points to bring up kind of up to this point? Any non, like, are there still prophet questions that you might have or anything like that? Alright, so next we're going to shift to where discipleship happens, where it happens. Where should it mainly take place? You know, I don't know if you've experienced this, maybe like the, uh, the mentality of kind of the entertainment-driven, you know, churchgoer, but have you, ever, have you ever thought or ever known somebody who's kind of like, um, discipleship is just kind of like a me and Jesus thing? You know, it's like I have my Bible, I have Jesus. I have my coffee, I have my porch, I'm good, good to go. I don't really need to go to church. In fact, you know, there is that scripture in Matthew 23 where Jesus tells the Pharisees, you have one instructor, the Christ, completely ripping that out of context and saying, uh, you know, completely out of context. And so they kind of take that and they don't see church as all that valuable and important. But discipleship, though there can be growth and understanding and learning by sitting by yourself and reading the Bible, which is totally a good thing, that is not the main place, the main cradle where God grows his people. The main cradle where he grows his people is in the local church. So why the local church? First and most clearly, the local church is the natural setting for all discipleship (coughs) in the New Testament. If you notice uh, these scriptures, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Colossians 1.2, Romans 1.7, these are letters that are written to specific churches where those verses say to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Colossae, Colossae, the church of Rome. These are local churches where Paul is writing a bunch of commands that have to do with discipleship. You to bear with one another in love. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Dwell with your wife in an understanding way. Different, different, different texts that have to do with discipling one another. It's just the natural place uh, uh, for discipleship to take place. Okay, that is where the elders and the teachers are that are equipping the saints, that are equipping us for the work of the ministry. It's not that we can't do it outside the church. And we're going to look at different uh, ways in which we might do things discipleship-wise outside of the church. We're going to look at that in a little bit. But the main place where discipleship is actually being cultivated is in the local church. <clears throat> Secondly, 
God has designed the local church to be the basic discipler of Christians in the structure that it has inherently. The, the main marks of a church are that the gospel is preached, the word of God, the whole council is preached. Uh, there's baptism and the Lord's Supper, there's the ordinances, and there's church discipline. Those three things make up what a church is, basically. And those three things, if one is a member of that church, they are a part of a structure that disciples them inherently. Okay, So the normal rhythm of weekly gatherings where the whole counsel of God is preached by gifted men, our, our pastor teachers, okay, that will serve to sanctify the body of Christ just by being a member of the church and, and attending. Secondly, baptisms, which affirm credible professions in the body of Christ, witnessing that. The Lord's Supper, once a month when we do it, uh, declaring the Lord's death until he comes and making many one. This serves for our sanctification. The church is its built into it. As sad as it is, when someone uh, lives in, unrepent in unrepentant sin in a way that is contrary to their profession that was seen in their baptism, and they are excommunicated, that serves as a cleansing and a sanctifying work in our own selves. It's built into the structure. It's kind of the skeletal structure. <clears throat> and then kind of on top of that and working out from that is sort of the flesh and muscle that overlays that skeletal structure uh, that's built into the, realms of into the realm of relationships, whether that be one-on-one -on -one with somebody else. Think of all of the different opportunities that we have with one another that's just on the calendar at this church, not talking about like, hey, Owen, do you want to get lunch this week? Not stuff like that, but having to do with, um, you know, uh, women's studies on Saturday once a month or uh, the, the upcoming Bible uh, studies that the elders are bringing us through all throughout the summer, and I'm not sure how long it goes, really far into the future. Um, all, of, all of the different opportunities, the equipping hour classes, um, you name it. There's, It's just packed full for discipleship opportunities. But that doesn't even get into the one-on-one -on -one stuff, the life group times together where we are building one another up in love, where ironing, iron is sharpening iron. It doesn't talk about the one-on-one -on -one times at the coffee shop. It doesn't talk about the counseling sessions that someone has uh, in their car for three hours after some big blowout that happens. It doesn't talk about the dinners when people come over and uh, we're just edifying one another in our speech. All of those work out of the core, which is the local church. It's not detached from it. These things are doing well, one-on-one -on -one sessions and classes and all of this, because this is going well, the center, the core, the church. If this is not strong, trying to do discipleship is not going to go so well. It has to spring forth from the local church. That's where discipleship comes from. So that's what we're going to be looking at with more meat on it for the next three weeks, how discipleship is done. So let's talk about some um, means of discipleship, ways that we disciple outside the local church and how we navigate that. Because if this, the church is the center, we don't want to just stand out here and do these outside the church things all of the time. We want to think of it this way. Uh, if there are opportunities to disciple on the outside of the church, 
we want to have a natural gravitational pull back to the church so that whatever we learn in the church, we use that in our discipleship with the people and the, the different opportunities that we have outside. And the things that we glean from others as we're being discipled or built up outside the church, we want to bring it back into the church for the benefit of the body of Christ. So for example, <clears throat> say we know believers from other churches. Like I, we left our church in San Diego. There's still two guys that I talk to pretty much weekly on the phone. And one guy that's been discipling me for 10 years, just, just, I feel like I don't, I feel like I don't do much for him, but he is, he's continually pouring into me. It, it's been, it's been wonderful. Um, it would be, it would be less than optimal for me to just take that relationship, just receive, 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 and not come back into my local church and share that with others here to build up the body of Christ. So um, while we meet with others and believers, that's excellent. We should, outside of the local church, seek to do them good by taking what you learn in the church and giving them that to build them up so they can take it back to their church and the opposite direction. Take what they have given you and build up your own body. Secondly, we have lots of parachurch organizations. Um, organizations like the Navigators, Campus Crusade for Christ, BCF, Light Bearers, all of these organizations are meant by the word para to come alongside the church, but not to replace the church. And they know this, and they would they would totally agree with that. So in this, I think there is there's the even though that's the aim and the goal, people could I'm sure decide to make that more their main discipling meat and potatoes, whereas that is meant to come alongside the main thing. So there should be a discipleship going on in different organizations with the goal of coming back and building up the local church, becoming mature and coming back and building up one another, and taking what you um, are being built up in in the local church and bringing it to the parachurch ministry. But the main thing, the main, the main note I'm trying to strike is that the church is the main place where the discipleship happens. What about number three, podcasts, video sermons, dare I say it, books, books. It's kind of weird thinking about discipleship in terms of books, because you know, the kind of the kind of uh, church we came from and the kind of church this is, we're just so into books. We're so into the intake of the Word of God from lots and lots of older dead people and people who are just have stood the test of time. And so, to um, I th we've all probably just been so we've been so blessed by the building up of these godly pastors. Uh, John Piper has been such a blessing in my life from like the very beginning of like starting to think of reformed things and there's such a formation in this we, we love it but it, is, it it can't be the main diet on your plate the local church must be the main diet so what you learn in books it's not that you don't read it's that you take it back and you build up your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church or you do what uh, we often do when we give out know double books we say here are two books that you can go with uh, through with other people pick another person to go with who wants it you know and take one another two people from the church through that book and be built up share podcasts and talk about them with other people watch video sermons and talk about it with other brothers and sisters don't sit and be a reservoir to puff yourself up 
with all of this information, share it with one another. That's a way that that can work. And then lastly, thinking about evangelism. Often, often evangelism doesn't take the form of just non-believers coming into the church. It's out in your normal, ordinary, everyday sphere of life. It is your workplace, it is at school, it's your neighbor next door. This is gonna be a little tricky. If they don't wanna to come to church, they're not coming to church. But the goal can be to be built up at church in order, and using brothers and sisters at church to help you in your evangelism, to share the gospel with uh, these folks with the hopes that they do come to church and they, they sit under the, the means of grace that God has provided in the structure of the church. Um, but of course, and we wouldn't do this anyway, we're not, it would be, it would be um, over the top to neglect the main fellowship of the church to be out evangelizing all the time. I don't, I don't know that that's an issue with folks uh, necessarily, but I, I can see it happening. You know, we're not just the evangelists going out, I don't need to go to church, there's work to be done out here. Um, I think being in the local church is primary. And so all of those things serve to say, this is where, discipleship mainly takes place. Any points to bring up? I'm sure there's like some good wisdom in here that you guys have on on these things. Any points? Counterpoints? Thoughts? Questions? Yes, sir. We're going there now. We're going there right now. So hold that thought. We're, we're, we're going to go there. Very good. Because that also is having to do with where, you know, wh where discipleship takes place. It is the local church, but the local church is not just in one place. The local church is in relation to whoever, you know, wherever we are. So any other questions? Any other, any other, can you think of any other, uh, any other sort of outside discipleship opportunities that aren't in the local church that we could spend too much time in or we could, we could not take advantage of by bringing what we've learned from the local church to them. I only thought of four, so there's got to be more. I think maybe one is just So part of being equipped uh, by pastors and teachers built up, like Evan's saying, is us as fathers, like in, like we talked about in Ephesians chapter six, 
not, not provoking your children to wrath, that kind of thing, but, but being the main discipler, you're discipling your kids and your wife in your home, of course, absolutely. That's a, that's a huge, and I think in the, next, in the next three weeks, it would be good to, as we go through how to disciple, it would be good to tease these different roles out, especially that, because that's such a central one, absolutely. One other question. Come across that cool? That kind of mentality.
know their roles. That's very good. Totally. And that's a great point, too, because uh, going to the how it works both ways, that's, that's a great point because it's like it has felt like that with my friend. It's felt like I've just sort of been on the receiving end, and I just don't – like I feel like I'm the one who's being sanctified. But that's, that's totally true because, like you said, he has been – had the opportunity to be faithful all of these years and to, to really to – really, uh, exercise love toward me in that way. So that, that's a super good point, too. Very good. Yeah, so place for parachurch ministry as well. Um, just the danger in all of these, just kind of like the other side of the ditch that you can fall into where it becomes the predominant thing and uh, the local church is kind of overshadowed. So kind of in conclusion, I wanted to sort of talk about, I wanted to talk about the Great Commission. I want to talk about sort of the overarching theme that we sort of began with. And we're going to talk about evangelism and missions briefly. Okay, so <clears throat> we know that in the Great Commission before the Lord ascended, he said, uh, go, therefore, to all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. Um, so discipleship, let's talk about discipleship and evangelism first, okay? So if discipleship has to do with doing spiritual good, intentional spiritual good to someone uh, who is in the process of sanctification, who is little by little being made into the image of Christ because they have life and they have the spirit of God within them, and God promises that he who began a good work in, him, in them are, is going to be faithful to complete it. Evangelism has a different posture because the person doesn't have life. But you are seeking, nonetheless, to see, to see their spiritual good. You're trying, to, you're trying to give them what they need, the gospel, their greatest need, so that they would receive and be saved. So it's not a change from immaturity to maturity. It's a change from death to life, which we cannot facilitate, and they are not promised. God has chosen all of the people that he is going to save. And we do not know which are which. But we must seek to, do, to, to, uh, to exercise uh, the, the preaching of the gospel for their good so that by all means he might save some, according to his will. Just, just as sure as we have the promise that he who began a good work will finish it, he will also save all that he has predestined and died for that are his. So that is sure, and we can stand upon that. So we can be encouraged in our evangelism at, and think of it in a way of discipling. It's the entry point into the church. Uh, if by God's grace, God opens their eyes and they see. Um, be encouraged to evangelize because uh, God is victorious. God has uh, knows exactly who, whose art is, and he uses us as instruments, just like he uses us in one another's lives to build one another up. He uses us to preach the gospel, and people have the scales fall off of their eyes. So just a brief word on evangelism. And then kind of thinking about sort of the breadth of where, the missions aspect of it. Um, this is meant not to be a local thing, a local church. Fayetteville, UBC is not meant to be the center of the earth. Where we're from in San Diego is not meant to be the center of the earth. We're all 
people must come. That is why there must be local churches, because there are people everywhere. Part of the Great Commission is that we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And so, missions involves the, uh, a laboring to plant these cradles of discipleship, if we want to call them that. That's limiting it down to kind of our topic, but that, that plant local churches anywhere in the world so that disciples would be made either by evangelism being saved and becoming disciples and or also disciples continually being discipled into the image of Christ, both in all over the world because the world is the Lord's world in every sphere, in every place. There's not one square inch that is not his. We're, mission work is the labor of disciplers to plant churches so that elders can be established that would equip saints that would therefore do the work of the ministry in every square inch of the planet and all in all regions of the earth. The idea is much like, you know, the original intent of the glory of the God fill, of, of the glory of God filling the earth with Adam and Eve multiplying and image bearers being everywhere. Much like how it'll be in the new heavens and the new earth, where it'll be um, the, uh, the new heavens, the new earth filled with image bearers, uh, worshiping the Lord forever and ever, looking like Christ, Christ-like in all that they are all that we are, what we're going to be like. Um, in the meantime, leading up to that, we are seeking to spread local churches for the purpose of this making disciples of all nations. So, kind of in summary, as we disciple now in this age, let us remember the age to come. Remember God's big picture plan Remember his end game, that one day he will create a new heavens and a new earth filled with people that he has redeemed from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and that he discipled using even us as instruments and tools in his hands to make broken image bearers grow into the likeness of his son within the context of the local church from all over the world, all for his glory. And God will surely do it all the way to the end. But he uses even us. So be encouraged in that. If, if you sense in talking through all of these things that, you know, I tend to be more of a spectator in this. And when I do get around other people, I tend to talk about kind of nothing, you know. I'm definitely guilty of that. I definitely feel the pull towards talking about the mundane, you know. We're nervous around one another. We're kind of chit-chatting, and we talk about the heat more than we talk about what Christ is been doing in us, what we've been reading. I encourage us to think of that, have that sort of posture in our minds that God will use us to sanctify one another. Think of, in, think of ways, before you come to church, pray and say, God, help me to have, take those opportunities where you're crossing past someone and we lock eyes and I just kind of go, yeah, keep walking. Or I sit next to people and I kind of like look around and I see somebody right behind me sitting there and just kind of like, eh, they're not there. You know, look for ways to intentionally build some, somebody up. You see somebody you know is struggling in their marriage or you know is struggling in this and that thing. And take the time, like what intentional good can I speak to them? Someone who's struggling with their assurance, what promise from scripture can I bring to them to build them up? Knowing that 
if God ple if pleases the Lord, me speaking that in some way is going to inch them possibly, if the Lord wills, towards sanctification, towards Christ-likeness. All of this is done by degrees. There ain't nothing that anybody's ever going to say that's just going to be like, bam, glorified. It doesn't work that way. It's all by degrees, and it's really slow. It's slow in us. This, we totally know this. It's slow in us. Okay? So be encouraged that you and I are able to, um, able to encourage and build up the body of Christ in love. And that, that is a function that the Lord privileges us with. Look for opportunities to do it. That's my encouragement. Do you have any, um, do you guys have any, anything to share in, in that vein where you've done that and it's been a blessing or uh, things you can resonate with with that or any closing questions as we wrap up? I think it's just like fear of man. I don't know what it is. There's this thing in me that when I'm around even believers, there's this, I don't know if you feel like this sometimes, but it's like, like if I start talking about something that benefits them spiritually, they're going to think that, oh, you're, you think you're so holy or whatever, you know. But I, but if they're, if you guys are believers, then, you know, and I'm a believer, that should be like really encouraging. You know, you bring up something that cuts past all of the, the normal kind of stuff that we talk about, weather or whatnot, and and it and it's just like, yeah, that's something of su of substance. I want to hang on to, you know. 
I think that would be appreciated. I do think that in, in people's pride, our pride, you know, when someone comes to, to me and maybe says something correcting, <coughs> excuse me, correcting that that can, that can definitely cut and that can sort of chafe my flesh. And I'm just like, let's talk about the weather or something, you know, you know so that could be the reaction that, that's get, that, that someone gives. But I think it is, like you're saying, a covenantal responsibility with one another as members of the church Everyone signed up for it, you know. So that, that's just a that's word of testimony. You asked for that too. I was just thinking through your wife um, after we went camping, right? Last well, that last weekend, last we went camping, and of course it was fun. We talked about the splash kids, whatever, blah blah blah. But um, you know, it was group. There was a group session that went out a day or two after that. Reflection versus is just pointing at. Um, so next three weeks are going to focus on kind of the nuts and bolts of how we disciple. So part one will be on Bible study, prayer, and Christian books. Uh, that will be with Evan. Then following that, the next week after that will be accountability, discipling, and hurting. I'll be doing that one. And then the last one is overcoming barriers, hazards, and joys of discipling. Uh, so... Great to, great to be with you guys this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us and prep us for uh, the upcoming gathering. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that um, you've helped us this morning to think about these things. Um, I'm humbled, Lord, that, you know, I, I, I just thank you that you you would use even my jumbled thoughts as I feel like it was jumbled. That that you used it, God, for your glory. I pray that only the truth that came out would be exactly what everybody remembers. And I pray that um, we would be encouraged to be used by you to uh, build one another up in love, as is uh, your model in Scripture. And I pray that you would use us to uh, do so even as we walk into the sanctuary right now. I pray you prep us um, to worship you as we stand before you as the local body of Christ, to sing praises to you and to pray and to uh, be under the preached word. Uh, I pray that you would build us up, strengthen us, that we may build one another up. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.